Comic Book Nation Season 5, the only show that does it all for geek culture, the only official podcast of comicbook.com. And if you are watching us live, you can realize by our lengthy dead air there that we are not alone today. We have a special guest returning to the show, acclaimed writer, Mr. Tom King, is joining us because this is a very special week where... You joined us before and we got to talk about what you got to kind of tease us about this event that was happening. But now it is here. DC is relaunching Wonder Woman. Tom, thank you for joining us. We are so excited to sit down with you today to talk comics, to talk Wonder Woman, to talk at all, apparently, to just hear each other. And thank you for joining us again. My absolute pleasure. I love this show. Um... I, I thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I see that the two behind you see Wonder Woman and some WWE things. So I'm glad you're asking me Wonder Woman stuff because I would be yeah. totally lost. Well, there go my questions. <laughs> yes, this show we, we talk about. My son is is super WWE, so I watch it with him. So I'm not completely, but it was never my nerd growing up. So I'm kind of behind on it. But he's Fair slowly enough. teaching me like what's what. That's what's how it happens. On. That's how That's it how all starts. Yeah, yeah no, then, I can talk. I mean, I know you know the general USO plot lines and what's going, and the whole thing going on. He oh. knows the bloodline. He does. I know his bloodline. <laughs> wow, amazing. Uh, right. So yeah, so well, I thought, yeah, I thought so, Cody should have taken WrestleMania. He's like right. You are world. right, Mr. King. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So I was just so, looking up. Yeah. I have some opinions, but I'm just not an expert on. <laughs> I was just looking back. It's been six months that we've been sitting here waiting for today and yeah it's been six months since we've been sitting here waiting for today to finally dig into this so we've been patient for half a year but uh now the time is here six months yeah right i mean it both it feels long and short at the same time somehow but um wonder woman one is out we can talk and there is so much to talk about matt as our resident dc wonder woman tom king expert why don't you start things off please Oh shit! Never get labeled expert, expert on me. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, yeah, so when we when we My had a quiz, chance, where was I born? <laughs> no, no quizzes. Although every time a pop star does one of those, like, does the fan know me better? Like the pop star always loses. <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Uh, when we when we had the chance to talk uh, previously, you know, one of the things you talked about, kind of having with Wonder Woman was showing how she's just a badass. And this this warrior and kind of putting her up here in the spotlight to show even some of her rebelliousness and things like that. And so I feel like the scene in this book, and by the way, we are going into spoilers that come out previously. So we are going to talk some spoilers here. So just FYI, in case you didn't read, Ayo, it's coming. Uh, but there's a scene between her and Sarge Steele and that fight scene. It's only in one scene in the whole book, so it's easy to just depend on Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that scene, I feel like, did that extremely well. I, I feel like it shows all of those kind of aspects to the character and also an awesome fight sequence that I feel like Sampier knocked out of the part. Uh, what can you tell us a bit about what you wanted to portray in that? And also, was there a point where Diana was featured more throughout the book, or was this always the plan? No, this was always... I, you know, I, I won't say it was always the play. Like I didn't set out to do it. I started writing the setup, and then I was, I was like, oh, I'm gonna do something bizarre where I'm not gonna show the main character until page 18, which is a crazy thing to do in a first issue. Um, I mean, she, she's she's on every page, and the fact that everybody's talking about her, everyone's anticipating her. Uh, Diana appears on the page early on, 
uh, without her costume on. But I was like, I want this to be a tension build up until you get to that sort of badass, you know, the hero has arrived moment. And uh, I hadn't, you've seen that, you know, in movies a lot, like, um, you know, old Westerns and stuff, but, but you don't see that in comics a lot. I was like, man, so, so yeah, there was a big risk when I, when I turned in the script, I was like, I realize she does not appear until page 18. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm just trying this out. <laughs> if you hate it, let me know. And my editor's like, it's a fuck, you know, let's take a big swing. Let's try it. So Brittany was very nice about it. So uh, we went, she, she uh, further on issues or not, well, won't be like that. She won't just be in one scene for the whole time. But yeah, uh, so I only had one scene. So I had to show her be, you know, the badass she was. And so we did a, a huge John Woo fight sequence, you know, including Semper, put some flying do- doves in there. Uh, and, you know, in the snow, in a graveyard, it's a cool place to have a fight. And we got everything in, you know, we got the using the um, lasso, you know, um, uh, the way Indiana Jones uses his whip. We got, you know, using the tiara, the way Captain America uses his shield. We got her strength, her jump. A good description of her and we gave her some you know badass diehardish kind of lines and uh yeah I, I think it was it was as if we started building up to that moment for our mission statement you know it's like here is the big climax here is what this book is about is that is that one sort of big fight scene i'm gonna flip my questions because a little bit around here uh, what i love particularly about a lot of your comic stories is they use this narrative framework of having a narrator actually telling us a story as we're watching this story unfold, which as a former MFA student, I I really love. And the trick about that though, is your narrator is the one who's kind of bending the themes and kind of setting the themes of the story. And I found this narrator to be really interesting and it immediately kind of keyed in as I was reading this issue. Can you just tease a little bit about kind of what themes this narrator and what themes this story of Wonder Woman is going to kind of be bringing to us as we go through the series? Yeah, I mean, when I first came into comics, I really hated captions. There's just a lot of bad comics that were being made at the time um, that had sort of really boring interior monologue captions. Uh, Frank Miller had, had had boomed into the industry and, you know, captions up until the 80s were very third person kind of a storytelling technique. And then Frank came in and was like, no, these are first person. They're going to replace thought balloons with captions. And then that kind of had kind of run its course over 30 years where it had be, captions had become these kind of boring way to tell stories where everything started with kind of a monologue you didn't care about. And it kind of took you out of the fight instead of putting you into it. So, um, a lot of my early work, I didn't use captions, with the exception of being vision. And then and throughout all of Batman, I never used Batman captions because I just, I was like, you don't need to go inside Batman's head. You don't need to see what he's thinking. That's what the art is for. Uh, but then lately I've been getting back into captions. Uh, and I think that the key to the whole thing was fine. Like you said, it was finding a voice, like not to be sort of generic. I mean, that's what Frank did very well. When he wrote Batman, you felt like you were inside Batman's head. So too many things don't feel like that. Um, and so I was looking for a voice for Wonder Woman in a unique perspective. And at some point I was like, what if this is about her versus a big bad? What if the big bad is the narrator? And I was, I was like, I like that. I like, I like someone who hates her describing everything. Cause if we're, you don't need to be inside Wonder Woman's head. You don't, if you're, if you're thinking everything that, that ruins some of the mystery and the, the, of who she is and what she's doing. But we have, we have something outside describing her, you know, you do sort of a great Gatsby thing where, you know, where, you know, the narrators from the outside of the main character. 
I was like, I, I like that part. And then I had his voice. You know, I was like, oh, we talked with the royal we, so he's a real dick. And, uh, and he's like, he uses all very highfalutin vocabulary. So I can use all these like sort of big ass words and I can, you know, rub my thesaurus raw. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, and it's, as soon as I started doing that, the first line of the whole thing popped up in my head was, this is the story of how she defeated me. And I was like, oh, I like that line. I don't know what the fuck it means, but I like it. It's a I, great, it's just like a first line of something. Yeah, it's a great first um, line. And also relieves some of the tension. Like it, it, it makes it so that I can go hard on Wonder Woman, but the reader always knows that she's going to be victorious in the end. So he knows I don't, I, th- I think with, with some characters in comics, people, if you go hard on them, people assume you hate the character. What you're really trying to show is how awesome they are when something goes hard on them. So that sort of relieves that tension and gives the reader, oh, I know he's going hard on this character, but I know she's just going to triumph in the end. Tom, question for you. Um, I know there was a lot of hype when the series was first announced regarding Trinity. Um, and we've gotten a just a sample of her interacting with Damien and John. Um, and I know there's still a lot of questions about she's got the three lassos. What does the next generation of the Justice League look like? Uh, obviously, not the focus of this first issue. So I think the big question is how long should readers expect to wait to get some answers regarding her? I mean, the whole thing is a story, is a story of her, how she's born, who her, you know, who or if her father is. Um, it, it, it's, it's a story of what her creation, for lack of a better word. Uh, but, you know, big answers. Uh, I mean, you're going to start getting twists about that in issue three. So there's going to be there's going to be some some stuff revealed there. Some stuff in issue five. I'm, I'm writing pretty far ahead, so I can tell you specifically. Okay. <laughs> and then, and, and some big stuff in issue 12. So th- those will be sort of big points if you're just looking for specific issues. Uh, starting with issue three, uh, I'm, uh, I'm taking over the backups for the book. Um, this first issue is 30 pages, so I just wrote the whole thing straight. Uh, the next issue has sort of a preview of a, of a Amazon attacks event. And then issue three, I start taking over the backups, um, those last sort of eight pages. And we're, and those are going to be, uh, Trinity story. So she'll, st- she'll start appearing in the backups. You'll, you'll see her there. Um, it's they're they're incredibly sort of fun stories, um, that are, that are about, uh, Damien and John and, and Lizzie sort of, and, and their adventures together in the future. And they're just wonderful, fun sort of things you could give to your daughter or have fun reading yourself. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, I had a big one, the big question, and weird that we're just uh, doing this amongst us group of men. Matt likes to always schedule your appearances for when one of us is out. Like last time it was me. I get it. I get it. I know. And this time it's Janelle. So I'm, but obviously even as us, all four of us have been sitting around here, there've been a lot of significant ups and downs for women in the last few years all over the world. What was important to you about relaunching Wonder Woman in this kind of what feels like a very pivotal point in history for women in female culture? Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick has a great line. People ask her, you know, why you write women so well. It's like the first thing I do is I pretend they're human, Uh, which I I think has always been sort of my approach that I, I just... I look at this as I'm writing a character. I'm, I'm writing a fully fleshed out human being who happens to be one of the great superheroes. It's like writing Batman, Superman. Um, and, and I, I want her to be as interesting and as cool as anything I could do for Batman and Superman, because that's the way she is. Um, 
as for this particular moment, I, I don't think there's a moment in history where uh, where women were, weren't having a hard time of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's, it seems fairly consistent for the last uh, 10,000 years or so. Um, so uh, I, I think what, what was, uh, uh, well, what we're trying to do here, you know, our, our, our agenda is to make her um, as cool as her potential. Every, every little girl in this country grew up, you know, thinking Wonder Woman was awesome. And I, I want to give them something that when they're older and they're reading, that sort of confirms that belief. I, I think it just gives, it's, it's a way to just put out some joy into the world. I think that's important right now. Oof, I like that. Well, it's, um, you know, when you, it always feels like when you hold up a hero and you want to showcase, you know, why they matter and, and also just how powerful they are and things like that, um, you have to have someone for them to face and you have to have someone that kind of helps move the story along, but also pull that out of them to a, to a degree. Um, you know, there's some, there's some heavy stuff in this issue, uh, regarding, you know, the way, Amazons are being treated and how they're being extradited and all that stuff. And, and, you know, steel is taking orders and, you know, this is his job in a way, but there's also just like a, you kind of mentioned it before. There's a humanity that's very much missing in how he treats this. Um, and how do you, because steel has a history with Diana from before and they have, you know, kind of been in the, same circles, but obviously Amazon's attack, he didn't recover super well. That was not great for him. <laughs> um, you know, what can you tell us about your approach to the character in, in this series and also what kind of role he will play if he will play a bigger role as things move along? Yeah, I mean, I love S Steel from back in the day of the, the Paul Kupperberg, um, you know, su Suicide Squad checkmate issues. Those, those, I love those things. And I love the idea that he's the, you know, he's the smoke in the smoky room kind of that, that, that sort of, he was that he was, you know, Waller's bet noir, the guy who would come in and kind of steal her. Uh, so he was always my thought. Yeah. As for this, I think, you know, we're finding him in a very cynical place, a very sort of follow orders place, a very sort of, you know, get my power that I can. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I see that all over the, the news these days of like, um, you know, people who used to have some ideals who've kind of been like, okay, this is how I sort of get mine is by, by, by relishing in sort of this sort of, um, the evil of the world, you know, I don't know how to put it better than that, but, um, uh, you know, where it becomes more about power than about doing good. And I think that's the sort of place he's at. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, he's a, he's a major player in this and he's going to be more of a, a three-dimensional character. You know, he's going to have his doubts. He's going to have, he, he plays a huge role. Um, especially in the second arc, which I'm, I'm getting started on now, where you're you're going to see him throughout this series, and and you know the idea of the guy who you know follows orders and has to come to the other side is just a fascinating, um, a fascinating journey because, you know, as we said, you know, Wonder Woman's first reaction to all of this was you know go for the hearts and minds. You know, she was organizing protests, she was going to the Senate, she was testifying, and and that that'll always be her thing. I mean, that's that's her tragedy is that she doesn't want to fight, right? She doesn't want this to be a punch out. She doesn't want this to be just people throwing like she she genuinely believes that sort of her philosophy of you know love over cruelty um is the future you know is the arc of justice and and so she she, she wants that for everyone you know from steel to even to the sovereign you know she she's you know utterly badass but you know in her heart she's merciful and that was well, one we even see her give the sword right 
Yeah, that's the point. Like, yeah, she's like literally like, I don't want to tempt myself <laughs> to yeah. kill people. Yeah, she. I mean, she knew she was going to be pissed. Like I said, she's. I mean, that. that I mean, she. Uh, you know, it's like Full Metal Jacket when he's wearing the peace sign and the war sign at the same time. He's like, yeah, man. I just, I'm trying to see them with a the dichotomy of man. That's that's Wonder Woman. You know, she's both at the same time, and that that drives her a little insane. That makes her, you know, different than. I, I feel like Batman's like. I mean, he can play lip service to the fact that he wants Gotham clean, but what he really wants is to punch bad guys in the face, you know? Um, Wonder Woman doesn't want them, and every time she throws a punch, she's losing. Yeah, um, so, that's, so. that's one of my favorite things I think this issue really captures distinctly and puts in the spotlight is, di if, and I feel like all four of us or pretty much everybody in like either married or long-term relationship here, yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> yes. so you guys, so we all understand like, as people have ever asked me, they're like, are you scared of your wife? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, why? I'm like, it's not like my wife will beat me up, but she can destroy me fairly easy if she ever wants to. And like, I'm always conscious of that fact because that's white power. Like she only needs a couple words and then I'm done for as like a living person with a reputation, like, you know? And it's like, but she's very controlled and she never does that no matter how angry I, I make her. God bless you, honey. Um, and that's what I really loved and kind of, caught in this issue is Diana has so much power, but so much grace, and I use that word grace in how she uses it and control in how she uses it that makes her distinctly different than like, yeah, her more adolescent like Superman, Batman, like I can throw a punch at this and fix it, and she's just like, look, throwing punches, I don't want to do that, and like I love that ending scene with her and Steel about, you know, he's calling her some derogatory word, and she's not even like I'm like a guy would be like, I'm gonna knock you out for that. She's just like, look, man, we're gonna be doing this. Like next time, watch your language. I don't want to be called this, and I don't want to hurt you like for saying this. Like I'm out. And yeah, that's it's the grace, right? That Wonder Woman has that I feel like was captured very well in this issue. And and I love that about her not appearing because all this madness is going on. And I think it's the point that she's like, look, I'm trying to stay out of this. Like I'm trying to just use influence not get in here like i love the little kind of side scenes with her and steve when it was just then silhouette and they're walking <laughs> under the nation you know under the monument and she's just like yeah i'm trying to stay out of this and finally she's just like man like fine like you know i gotta put on a tiara and go handle business and like try to settle this down and so i, I really dug that i really dug what it, it kind of said about her character and you know how she approaches conflict because um, sometimes I think we've gotten into the, like the too much of the warrior, like Wonder Woman's like a warrior, like ultimate warrior and a sword. And she's like, yes, but you know, her superpower was always love. So, uh, yeah, that was real well done. I, I love that. Yeah. I'm trying to give her this, this catchphrase, this no thank you as her sort of catchphrase. I, I mean, I just think sometimes it's radical to say no. Um, sometimes to, to say the world is moving in one direction and, and they're like, you have to move with us. And you're like, no. But she's Wonder Woman, so she does it politely. So she's like, no, thank you. But mm -hmm. it's it's definitive, but it's it's like, I respect you, or, or you know, I, I I still see you as human, but no thank you. I'm not moving. I'm I I'm I am the stone the world can grind against. Like that that that's I, I think that that's essentially part of her character. Is is to sort of say that I'm different. I, I I'm um I won't roll over. I'll be polite about it, I'll be cool, I'll see the humanity in you, but I'm not stopping. I always ask this question really quick to every creator. Is there something, you know, creatively, a scene, a moment that you're sitting on right now without any spoilers that you know is coming up that you're just like gleefully sitting on and you can't 
like particularly wait for people to see? Dude, in every issue, yes. In every issue. <laughs> this is this is I've t- I've said this before. I'll probably say it to you in the beginning, but like this this book's not about deconstruction. It's not about like oh why you know what does it mean like all that I just talked about. What does it mean to be a warrior in peace and to have her like you know lying in a room crying? Like that's not what this book is. This this book is about why Wonder Woman is awesome. What makes her cool? Not what makes her ideal, but what makes her make ideal decisions. You know, like th- there's a difference between those two things. Like she's not someone up on a pedestal, but she's someone you admire. You know, it's, there's a difference. Um, and so every issue has sort of a kick-ass, incredible moment. Um, I mean, I'll, I mean, I mean, the second issue is all action. It's all sort of a ba- it's it's two uh, in- interweave battles happening at the same time. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's a moment with a tank. You're just going to, you can't believe. And then the third issue has just the most kick-ass, uh, I'm bragging. I'm sorry. I'm a, sorry for bragging so much, uh, but <laughs> no brag away. I mean, we're already so we're easy. I'm, just, I, I'm really excited about this comic. I just really like it issue to issue. And Daniel draws it so beautifully in Tomu Colors. I mean, it's just every time, time I get an issue, I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe we pull this off. Yeah. So, I mean, issue, issue four, issue three. Has one of the baddest like invisible jet moments you'll ever see. It's going to change your opinion on what an invisible jet is and why that's cool. And um, issue four will make you cry. It's just some beautiful stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then issue five, you know, we we get you know the family starts to come and we get the Wonder Girls, which is awesome. So yeah, every issue has something special and new and big in it. Oh man, can't wait. That sounds amazing. Uh, Issue six. Issue six. We're doing like our like you know like a fun sort of side thing you know it's got superman in it issue seven is huge battle like fucking ever, ever, we're trying to make each issue sort of a separate event level thing where you're just at the end of it you're fucking pumping your fist and you're like holy shit i can't believe it's just happened oh. absolutely again i'm bragging and i apologize but look look what a mess my room is that's who i really am don't don't listen to me brag <laughs> um Awesome. Uh, well, I uh, I know we gotta let you go soon, so we'll we'll have just a just one or two more, uh, and, then we'll, and then we'll get let you get back to you know writing cool stuff. Um, no, I didn't write things. cool stuff. That's my problem. I read the <laughs> script. I don't like it. And I don't know how to fix it. I have belief. I have. I have <laughs> confidence. Um, you know, there's a tease at the at the very end. Um, obviously, something that's been kind of talked about the sovereign. And then also, you know, we get this kind of look at the lasso of lies. And obviously we know the three are going to play a role in Trinity's story at some point in time, but just for it, as they pertain to this particular part in Diana, um, what can you tease about uh, the sovereign and the lasso of lies and, and your kind of, you know, ideas for those as much as you can? I mean, it's big. He's going to be in, I mean, he's the narrator of the story. He's going to be in it for a while. Uh, he's he's our big bad. He's our Lex Luthor. He's our Joker. Um, he's he's something entirely new, you know, in the history of DC. I mean, we revealed that that the United States has a secret royalty and a secret royal family that they've been, you know, keeping secret. When I was in the CIA, they told me this was true, and I didn't believe them. But so now I'm finally leaking it all these years later. No, that's that's not actually. True. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, yeah, he, he's and 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 you see if you've read 800. That that lasso of lies eventually ends up with Trinity with another lasso. So it begins sort of this this the journey of these sort of three lassos and what they mean sort of for the mythos of Wonder Woman and the DCU and what it means to sort of be the Trinity, which is who she is. Um, so yeah, I mean there there's big stuff, but uh, yeah, it, that lasso, I mean, the concept of it is um, 
unlike, you know, obviously the lasso of truth, wrap around someone has to tell the truth. If you wrap the lasso of lies around someone, they have to believe you. Um, and that gives you almost infinite power. I think of, you know, Foundation. When I was a kid, there was, a, there was a character in Foundation. All he can do is take over one mind. But since he can always take over one mind, he can influence a billion people. And that's what this is. You know, if you can go up to the President of the United States and wrap a lasso around him and, and, and be like, uh, China is about to throw nuclear weapons at us, you should throw some at him, nuclear weapons go up. So that that's how powerful this guy is. He, he can make anyone believe what he says if he has his lasso. Wow. Oh, sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, I said Kofi, go. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, finally, before we get out of here, you know, obviously, even beyond your work in comics, some of your work is now kind of also being adapted into movie format with Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, obviously, things are crowding crazy this year and productions are not happening. But I'm just curious about how are you feeling about your work really kind of getting the spotlight and jumping up to this next level of mainstream exposure and how are you feeling about how things are progressing with that so far i mean uh like my fellow writers i am on strike right now and i'm in solidarity so mostly i'm feeling um that i hope this strike gets settled and i hope the writers um get what they deserve um and and, and get get a get a piece of the stories they help create I know that's a stupid answer, but that's sort of the answer we have to give at this moment. No, that's okay. Thank you for saying that. All right. I'm not sure we're allowed to say that. So <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> and if no, you guys uh, haven't already, be sure to go out and pick up Wonder Woman 1. I would say go and check out 800 as well so you can get the real tee up to this story because I think that that introduction and the flash forward is something that really really works to help frame this and, and keep your excitement high and the momentum high for where this is all headed. Because people are cynical these days. They always want to know things are going to be headed somewhere, like a Netflix One Piece series. Or I something. don't know what you're talking about. And this is a good way to really incentivize you because we are in for what already feels like a pretty grand and significant Wonder Woman story arc. And I'm real excited. So thank you again for Tom King for taking the time out. I know you're probably busy this week and joining us. We we always love having you on the show, man. My absolute pleasure. I love this book. And like you said, yeah, this book just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and leads to big events. And there are things that are going to peel off of this and they're going to be in sort of big summer events in DC. So yeah, this is the sort of, this is a good window into the DC universe for a big epic story. Personal, oh, my dog's saying hello. Personal question. <laughs> do we, do we, will we see Yara Floor anytime in the future, in the near future? Yep, she's in issue five. Yes! All right. I really should be more subtle about this, but we're so far ahead. Daniel is, is <laughs> No, I, is I want the answer. So like, I can yeah. actually answer specific questions for once in my life. So I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah, no, I want that answer. That's amazing. Yeah, we are big Yara fans around here. So we've been hoping. She's in issue five and issue seven. So she's Jeez. coming up. Okay. All Thank right. So we are locked time. in. I, this is Tom King's good. Wonder Woman. We are locked in DC Comics. Be sure to pick that up. Thank you again for joining us, Tom, and we'll let you go. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Now it's just us in our regular comic book nation, CB Studios here, where we are still playing out last year's Super Bowl, or this year's Super Bowl, I'm sorry, with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles, and nobody on this podcast is giving any ground. Go Birds. Now, 
We are done talking to Con Tom King. As I said, you guys should check out both Wonder Woman number one and go to comicbook.com, comicbook, all one word, dot com backslash DC and check out all our breakdowns about the issue and what's coming up and what's going on in the Wonder Woman universe. Because over the last few years, it's, it's really sprung up and become just as exciting as like the Superman or Batman universe. And uh, yeah, be sure to check that out. So next subject is me. And I am talking about Expendables 4. You poor bastard. Yeah, we somehow thought we wouldn't have enough content for this show. We were worried it's now like 20 minutes left and we could technically get out of here and say we did it. But here we are. So I decided to go out and roll the dice and go see Expendables 4. So... The Expendable series has been ridiculous since the beginning. Um, it was a, <laughs> ironically, it's like this thing pops up every time we have a writer strike. Um, the first one came out when I had just started working at Screen Rant, and it was like one of the first big movies I got to see. It was one of the first big movies we were ever like super hyped for. I remember doing so many of the commercials and the promos and the breakdowns of every character and what they had done and you know who were these action stars. Like content, we did so much content for this movie, and then I went to see it. Oops! Oh <laughs> boy, that first Expendables movie, Sylvester Stallone—is that the last one thing he's directed? I think so. Like it, that it was because he was, said he's gone on record of saying like that was like a harrowing experience for him having to direct and star and all that other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was rough. It was just so badly filmed, and then the other two were a little bit more filmed, but they became kind of silly. Well, you know, Expendables 4 is kind of funny because I feel like this movie, I'm not sure if I should be laying into it as a serious action film or kind of appreciating it as what it feels like, which is grumpier old Expendables, uh, the movie. Uh, there's just so much of this that feels like it's not taking itself seriously as a movie. Uh, there's, as you can see, if you're watching the trailer with us right now, there's all these jokes about them being old. You know, there's a lot of like thinly veiled D jokes about whether they can still, like there's a whole thing between like Andy Garcia and Sylvester Stallone when they meet each other, where they're just talking about how low their balls are hanging and if they can get them tucked up these days. Like that's a whole thing in this movie. Lord. And it's just a lot of them being kind of like old men and jokes about that with Stathan kind of like ragging on his co-stars because he's still like saying he's still the handsome one and stuff like that. And yeah, there's a lot of it that feels hard to take seriously um, in this movie. So it, it's kind of like an Expendables movie with the action and the explosions, but it doesn't feel serious. It feels like this is going fast and furious in the sense that like after a while, it was like, okay, well, we started off as a serious thing about like, you know, war, PSD affected warriors, lifelong soldiers who have nothing except their camaraderie. And now let's just do about being old men still blowing stuff up. Uh, Randy Orton gives about four different monologues. Randy Orton? Not Randy Orton. What's his name? I, would... <laughs> I was like, what? Randy? <laughs> you know what I mean. Randy if Couture. Randy, was Randy Couture. This, Randy Couture. I'd be there day one. Randy Couture gives about this kind of continuous monologue because different characters in the film come in and are like, what the F is up with your ears? And he's just like, oh, thank you for asking. I do the sport of wrestling. And if you know anything about the sport of wrestling, one of the most common afflictions of it is like, and then he repeats this like several times throughout the movie. And so, so like I said- There's a cauliflower ear running joke? Yes, yeah, okay. it's a running monologue. Like it's about him like 
It's almost like, you know, if you were to tune in, it's like, hi, I'm a mute person. They're like writing it down. Like, I cannot speak. Uh-huh. Here's a, like, this is what kind of thing he does throughout the movie about his ears because everybody rags on him, all these younger characters. So you get people in there. But um, I mean, the real selling point of this movie is that, you know, Megan Fox is beautiful. That's pretty much what they care about the most in this film. Okay, welcome to 2007 Transformers. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of slow walking things. And how believable you want to get as like Megan Fox as a believable kind of challenger to Jason Statham as the leader of the Expendables is she's no Megalodon. I don't see her as a threat. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. There are a lot of people other in the movie who are action stars and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, if you think Ahsoka is bad, this movie is, you know, the directors of this movie, the director definitely had a preferred shot scott wog had a preferred shot and it's just like yeah megan fox mm. there you go is, is i mean 50 cent any good in it 50 cents funny in it like he's a funny guy but there's some weird stuff where they do where they keep like lingering on his character because the whole plot of this is there's like this secret mole that barney's been after for years who's been always kind of outfoxing the expendables and they keep lingering on 50 cent whenever they talk about these scenes as if it's to say, you should believe it's maybe this guy, but it's like a red herring. Anyway. So it, are you telling me this is secretly a 50 cent blood on the sand sequel that the <laughs> world stop. was asking for? Please stop. <laughs> the crossover everyone wanted. <laughs> Please stop. But no, I mean, the new people are are, are like kind of funny. Like like I said, um, Megan Fox is, is at least witty and funny in this. If you don't believe her as an action star or it's clearly a stunt double doing the leg spins and yeah, all that stuff. Um, but there's also other kind of cool eco UAS from, um, the raid movies is a good villain in this, uh, Tony jaw is like, he plays a funny kind of really like guy who killed so many people. He just wants peace now. And he's just like living this like Zen monk life and he's just chilling. And then they're like, ah, I gotta kill more people. Yeah, and so he just kind of shows up and kills people like Andy Garcia, Levy Tran, Tran is good in this. Um, Jacob's, uh, Scipio and, you know, is a great kind of funny guy. And so the new kids are funny. Like the action is things, but like I said, this doesn't feel like the same franchise. It feels like this is in, we're in self parody land with this now. And that the cast kind of knows it. Statham definitely knows it. Mm. Like Statham's just chewing scenery and kind of like playing around in here and just going with the flow of it. But, um, yeah. You don't need to go to theaters to see this. It's gotten so silly. Um, and I, But I don't think they're going to stop. <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to stop. I think we're in for more Expendables. So, yeah, every new kid on the block, whether they look like, you know, I can't wait for Jesse Eisenberg's, like, Expendables movie, you know, the way these things are going at this point, <laughs> where he becomes the hardest enforcer, like him, Topher Grace, and a bunch of other people will get down to, like, or, like, when we get down to in a couple of rounds of this. But uh, Expendables 4, silly as hell. Go watch Tulsa King. It's better. Yeah, Tulsa King. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, it's Megan Fox. That's the head. Megan Fox, still very beautiful. That's the headline. There you go. All right, All right. moving on to things that make more sense. Commercial? Well, we got to take a break. Don't yeah, we, we got to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to do some of this, I think. There's a lot here. Know, we, we, we might need to cut some things. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut some things. This is way overprepared. All right. We're going to take a break and figure out what we're actually doing. When we come back, how much we can fit into this show that does too much for geek culture. We'll be right back. 
just had an interview with DC's new Wonder Woman writer, Tom King. Plus, I gave you my thoughts on the silly, silly experience that was Expendables 4. We're going to move really quick into our second half of the show here since we are getting short on time. So we just talked, uh, we had a whole bonus episode. If you guys are just now getting into Comic Book Nation, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page on youtube.com backslash comic book, one word, dash nation, where we drop all of our bonus content. You can also subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, where we also post not just our regular episodes, but our bonus round episodes that focus more specifically on like specific franchises or areas like anime, wrestling, gaming. And this week we also put out uh, the latest of our Ahsoka, Star Wars Ahsoka recap episodes. So for Ahsoka episode six, far, far away. So please go and listen to that. But as we just catch up to where things are headed real quick, I had a couple questions today for you about Ahsoka episode six. Hmm. Do you guys think we are getting zombie stormtroopers? There's been a lot of debate about this. So Thrawn came back. Episode six made sure that we got a whole new origin for the Night Sisters. I don't think we can call them the Night Sisters of Dathomir anymore because they're the Night Sisters of Paradia and like they came from this other galaxy. Dave Filoni obviously expanding the lore because if you know about the Night Sisters, they are force users. There's been some confusion about this. But they splintered off and decided we're developing our own way, female-led way of using the Force. That was that they combined with magic to make their own power. So the question is, are, are Thrawn's troopers, based on like their red threads that are around them, their kind of beat-up look, and their name, which is confirmed to be Night Troopers, there's a lot of theory that these are undead soldiers reanimated by the Night Sisters, Great Mothers, just kind of we got like the tease of that with Merrick and that whole thing. Do you think we get in Star Wars zombie soldiers? Well, they were loading coffins in the spaceship. <laughs> yeah, so that's a pretty big hint. <laughs> about whether those were weapons or coffins. They look like coffins. They look like coffins. So we get zombie stormtroopers, baby. And can you handle that matter? Or would that be too scary for you? No, no be fine. I like zombie stormtroopers. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm actually a big, I mean, I know I'm not like the biggest Walking Dead person. Uh, at comic book especially, but just a fan as general. But I actually really like zombies and other things. <laughs> I, I, I'm cool with it. I play a lot of zombie games and, and dig it, so I'm cool with Star Wars take on zombies. My thing is, I still don't think that's the ultimate end game of this. I think whatever uh, the two dark, or gray Jedi, whatever we're calling Dark them, Jedi. Dark Jedi. Whatever they're looking for, I think Thrawn also knows what that is, what that is on the planet's and that's going to be the big twist at the end of this series is, oh, I, I knew what you guys were looking for the whole time. And uh, we're taking this back to the galaxy that we're all familiar with. And that's whatever the hell the movie is supposed to be, is that big threat that whatever they've got, whether it's a weapon, a power, something, that is going to be what Thrawn is wielding that has to bring everybody together and justify a big crossover movie. See, I've been, and I wrote an article about, like, what is Balin's ultimate plan in this? And I'm not sure. Like, my theory is that Thrawn using the Night Sisters' magic is his power. That's what he's using. He's combined, like, Imperial might with magic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Something other than the Jedi and the Sith, obviously. And even if he has an undead army where Stormtroopers, like, I just want to see it. If they get shot down like Stormtroopers do, then just, like, like doing a weird puppet thing back up. And like, I think that's going to be his power. 
because he's got to, this is all got to finish up in 30 years and, and not really be mentioned in the right. sequel trilogy. So it has to be in the outer rim and out here in something they fought and defeated eventually. But I think, and I, and I think the larger plan of what they're doing is whatever Balin discovers on this planet, I don't think he'll necessarily, because Ray Stevenson obviously is gone. I think his arc might end. I don't know if he'll succeed in that, but in acknowledging what it is that's out there, you set up something, a power that exists in the in the franchise lore. And that becomes more important because we do have two big other films coming that are bookends of the franchise, right? You have, and the one I'm looking at is like James Mangold's Dawn of the Jedi movie and the Rey movie about her establishing a new Jedi order, you know, when she's older. The Night Sisters and the magic of that is ancient and their origin and legends is splintered off from the Jedi. They were in legends lore they're in stolen canon. There is a rumor that's never been true proven, but like this ancient Jedi, female Jedi, was exiled from the order to parody or Dathomir or whatever it is. And she, as because of that, she broke from the Jedi way and developed not just the Night Sisters, but the entire Dathomiri mm-hmm. race was started by a Jedi. So there is precedent to take like whatever power she established or whatever is that and have it. And even though we don't get to it here, have it be something that can be referenced in like either the old Republic Mangold's movie or something that comes back around by the time Ray is doing her thing, because that could be that, you know, the Sith will be gone. Jedi are kind of not back yet. And it's like, this is an X, you know, option C power that's technically still out there. So I think it could be used in all places too, in all three films, because they obviously want the Night Sisters to be a bigger thing. We're doing a lot of work in this stories where people be like, witches, mm, magic, mm, which I don't think any of us counted on when we went into this. So I think they're setting up stuff for this to be a power and establish it so that other things we get can lean into this more. Makes like, sense. Yeah. I still don't think we're getting any Star Wars movies outside of Filoni because everything we announce gets canceled. <laughs> My God, Hunter. Uh, all right, but uh, we're going to see. What do you guys want to see in the last two episodes of this series? Big old Ray Stevenson fights and monologues. This guy's great. Yeah, no. Yeah, Soka's yeah. got to come and throw down. And yeah, obviously, I want to see Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka kind of fighting together. I want to see that. Um, I think that's going to happen. I think you got to get rid of some secondary bosses by this episode. So Balin and Shin will either be like killed, scattered, left, whatever it is. Be interesting if they get left behind there and like somehow, mm-hmm. you know, Shin Hatai becomes a bigger character later on. Um, but I think the secondary bosses go on this one and then the last episode will be like race to get back to the galaxy and whatever that new status quo. And I said, I think there's going to be an empire ending where it's just like, there is a big threat looming. Things are not great, but our heroes are more sure of themselves and united together and they're ready to go battle said threat. Um, I'm also interested to see how much they do and if we get some big cameos at the end like Ahsoka approaching like people like Luke, Mando, Boba Fett, all these other people, Bo-Katan, all these people who are out there being like, yo, we gotta talk. Have you heard about the Thrawn initiative? And like, Wait, yeah. I just had a thought. We're doing the thing where we go through time and rescue people. It's what they did in Rebels. What if they reach out and grab Cassian before the planet explodes and says, come with us. Your show's too popular. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> 
All right, you're starting to get us in trouble with Star Wars people. Like, we're going to keep moving on. Um, but be sure to check out Ahsoka Episode 7, the penultimate episode, and our recap episode coming up this week. Matt and Connor, take it away. Let's talk about some wrestling. Let's talk about some wrestling because, Matt, I don't know if you noticed, but it's been a month and about a week in terms of news that has dropped this week. We'll start with, you know, I'm going to start with the Vince McMahon stuff. Uh, We had a report from the LA Times. We had a report from Axios. Uh, We had reports of him and his meetings and how he was talking to everybody on staff, claiming that the company had stagnated. Everybody rolls their eyes because this company's been posting record profits last couple of years. And everyone just kind of assumes that the merger between the UFC and the WWE was really just Vince's way of remaining in power. So I, I know a lot's been written already about, oh, hey, if this new investigation happens, could Endeavor kick him out? Could he be facing criminal charges? I'm not holding my breath on any of this stuff, guys. Endeavor has shown in the past, especially with Dana White, they're fine keeping some controversial figures around as long as it's profitable. The moment it costs them something financially is the moment that they can go, okay, Vince, you you don't have the power to outvote anybody. We can just kick you out of the board if we want to. I think that's entirely possible, but Vince has had a lucky horseshoe shoved up his shoe for his for decades. I'm not counting on this being the thing that finally brings him down. I'll believe it when I see it, but I'm not out here dancing in the street thinking that this is finally going to be the thing that kicked him out. I, I was way too discouraged by what happened at the end of last year and the beginning of this year to really get too hopeful on that front. Yeah. Let's move to the releases. Matt, we had, I think it's, uh, we're, are we up to 12 now from yesterday? Everything ranging from, uh, 12. To every, everything ranging from former world champions to people in developmental who never made it to TV. It's always unfortunate. It's, it's not a great look when all of this was happening on the same day that they announced the SmackDown television deal for. I believe what is $1.4 billion. That's billion with a B. Billion dollars. But if you were if you were shocked that WWE was going to do this, wait, I, I don't know where you were when they fired 150 people during COVID. So it's it's not a surprise. It's unfortunate. It's not a great look, but I'm not shocked by this anymore. Uh, as far as the people who got released, it's a wide range of folks that have been in the company. Dolph Ziggler's been it for nearly 20 years. Dana Brooks been around for what seems like a decade. Uh, Mustafa Ali was a guy who had so much potential and was clearly going to sink his teeth into whatever they gave him. They just never actually gave him the opportunity to run with the ball. And then it's some folks who we never saw get to TV. So it, it's it's sad. Some of these guys will obviously have opportunities elsewhere. I saw this get pitched yesterday. Shelton Benjamin, get that man in the Blackpool Combat Club immediately. Let Mustafa Ali go off to Impact, New Japan, AEW, and have dream matches. Give me Dolph Ziggler versus Kenny Omega. I'm good with all of it. Matt, what was your general reaction to yesterday's uh, plethora of news? Um. I mean, the so the releases, I agree with you, have, have become something that is an unfortunate uh, part of WWE's structure. I mean, they just they they tend to happen every year. Now, this one obviously coincided with other layoffs as well, because this is not just, you know, this was talent, which makes the most uh, noise as far as news and stuff. But this came after a bunch of layoffs on the office side. Um, there was a there were a lot of of people let go and those, so we wish them well uh, as well. 
and hope they land on their feet. Um, you know, we knew that after the merger, this was going to happen. So this this one wasn't a surprise. Um, and as far as the talent goes, like, yeah, it was. it's a lot. I agree with you. It's a lot of people that, I mean, there's been reports that have come out. More and more stuff keeps coming out, right? I mean, Ziggler was ready to go years ago mm. and then was convinced to stay, uh, according to reports. You know, Ali requested his release two years twice, ago. Twice? Two <laughs> years ago, very um, publicly. Yeah, and he's the only one in, you know, other reports that have followed up that was a, this was a mutual agreement, evidently. But then he says, you know, I didn't know I was going to be like, so there's a lot of complaints. But stuff, NXT but, didn't know he was getting released because he was supposed to fight Dominic in a week. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. Uh, we'll kind of slowly start to see things roll out, but um, nothing too shocking. You know, Ziggler was the most shocking one just because he's been there so long. But again, he's also kind of done everything. So, He'll, he'll land on his feet somewhere, and, and he's fantastic. So a uh, lot of stuff there. The biggest, honestly, the biggest surprise of the day was the SmackDown deal. Yeah, let's that talk was, about that. Yeah, that was USA Network going to them for, you know, like that. That's huge, number one, from the fact that Fox loses it, but also from the fact that Raw and NXT are also no longer on USA Network. And so there's rumors, right, of of Raw maybe being courted by, you know, Amazon and a bunch of people. So that stuff, to me, the most, like, shocking things because no one really expected it. I think a lot of people thought that Fox and WWE would come to terms at some point. So I don't know. That's that's a big one. See, I'm on the other side of that where I, I th- when WWE and Fox first teamed up, you remember they launched shows like WWE Backstage. They hired Ryan Satin to basically be the face of their WWE coverage. He's gone. His podcast is gone. That backstage is gone. It felt like whatever they had planned for this massive WWE content machine, that kind of fizzled out about halfway through COVID. So the fact that Fox was like, you know what? We, we don't necessarily need to be shoveling out a billion dollars across five years for another one of these deals. And WWE was clearly asking for more. What I find interesting is that the stock reacted to this news with disappointment. Even though we look at it and go 40%, it goes from 1 billion over five years to 1.4 billion over five years. Take them back to cable. At first glance, you go, oh, wow, that's incredible. But then you start looking at the numbers. The stock dropped because people like Morgan Stanley were expecting this to be a much bigger deal. They were expecting it to be 1.5 times what the previous deal was, and it fell short of that expectation. It also fell short of, if you look at some of the jumps, certain conferences, certain uh, sports leagues, the deals that they've been signing recently for their new media rights, it's not meant it's not reaching that same multiplier so it's then it's raising the question of oh is the is the live sports bubble starting to burst i don't think so i I don't think we'll find that out when someone like the nfl doesn't get the kind of money that they're looking for on their next deal i think this is just a hey wwe has a long-standing relationship with nbc universal they were willing to get smackdown back i find it interesting that while the hollywood reporter is saying Raw and NXT are gone because USA had to use the the piggy bank in order to get SmackDown. Guys like John O'Rand are saying that NBCU is still in the running. So I'm not going to necessarily write that one off yet. Interesting. I don't even think Fox going back to cable is the most interesting, not Fox, 
SmackDown going back to cable is not the most interesting aspect of this. What is the most interesting aspect is if Raw does get picked up by somebody like Amazon. Because I've been hearing it for years that the streaming services of the world are going to invade, they are going to fully kill cable, and they are going to get all of the sports leagues over onto them. Outside of Thursday Night Football and a few random odds and ends deals, haven't really seen it. CBS, right. Paramount, that's about it. But if, if WWE wants to get ahead of this supposed wave, like admittedly they did with the WWE Network, they got ahead of the game on a lot of people when it came to that. If they were to take Raw, one of their flagship programs, and put it exclusively on streaming, I think that is infinitely more interesting than them just locking in another deal with NBC. Because even though you're probably going to get about half the actual audience that Raw typically does, which is already hitting record lows, this could be securing them for the future when cable is well and truly dead, and they've already got a relationship with somebody like an Amazon, a Hulu, a Netflix, to where... Everybody else is looking for the lifeboats and they're already on one. Well, and while everyone is, while yes, the audience will go down because it's not, you know, it's not that same spot that they've been in forever. It's not all that. Um, I feel like you can also make an argument that that audience is going to be, it's going to be a different audience. And if you are able to lock them in that, that has room almost infinitely bigger room for growth. The other is going down. There's no arguing about it. <laughs> like cable is going down just as a as an enterprise, you know what I mean? Like as far as viewership and things because of all the options. So I think it would be, WWE has a pattern of jumping ahead on stuff like this. And a lot of times it works out. It doesn't always, but a lot of times it works out. I think that would be very smart. Um, and also, too, in the SmackDown deal, it is interesting that, you know, they get four primetime specials uh, on NBC. Uh, so, I mean, it's not I think they're kind of trying if, if they do the Amazon deal, they're very much like having their cake and eating it, too, because they they still position themselves well with an old partner on cable. Then they get some stuff on primetime on NBC. Then they also get stuff on streaming like it's a, it's a nice plan. See which one grows. Right. Right. I mean, and <laughs> at I, and the end I of the think- day. I think they always want to keep something on cable just for the yeah. the stumble upon factor, which is if yeah. you're flipping channels and you land on wrestling, that's how a lot of people discover wrestling in the first place. Mm-hmm. When everything's on streaming, you got to actively go find it. And if yeah. you're not a fan, nothing's really drawing you in to click on something random on Amazon Prime or Netflix. Well, I mean, ne- Amazon Prime is the one because that has like direct sales availability through the packaging from anybody who uses Prime. They will, you will start to see wrestlers on every package that comes to your house every time you fire up your fire stick. And right now they need something because the only thing they have and they effectively do it is they have one which night of football they have Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, they have yeah. Thursday night football and that's where the Al only- Michaels is banging ahead against the wall because the Cardinals have been booked for the sixth straight week. He's like, <laughs> uh, if you've been on with this channel, God bless you. Yeah, but it's still football. People yeah. still watch it. Yeah, you no, know what I mean? And also them, on the Amazon that. front, like no one does scrolling like Netflix. No. no one. I don't like not even cable and primetime TV. No one does. No one gets me into watching other things that I did not care about or did not think I would ever want to watch better than Netflix. Yeah. Netflix's algorithm, Netflix is able to put stuff in front of me that I give a shot. I have done so many things on that, like Netflix. It's just the way they push stuff. It, they are beyond. If, if Amazon can even get a fifth of that, 
<laughs> ability, I think it goes a long way. And to tie it into the writers and actors strike we've been talking about, one of the things that people have been wondering if a new deal would actually force is for streaming services to be fully transparent with their viewership. I'm not counting on that happening, but if that does happen, I think that will be incredibly interesting as to where WWE decides to go when they realize, wait, how many people are actually watching this stuff? We should look elsewhere. I, I think that's something to keep an eye on if you're a wrestling fan when it comes to the strike. Yeah. Wrestling Amazon would be very interesting because they have a whole already built framework in just distribution system to integrate merch, merch delivery, merch sales, like straight off the broadcast. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you like this? Click this button in the corner. Now screen x-rays turned in. We go right to the Prime store for all your WWE needs. Like, yeah, there's if they pull that off, there'd be a lot that'd be very very interesting about that for the future of sports entertainment and yeah interactivity through streaming all that stuff so i don't usually speak during these segments but uh somehow i'm here but uh that would be i can't wait to see that yeah and last but not least nxt is probably going back to peacock sorry man oh that's that bad (laughs) i'm fine with that yeah i mean it doesn't it's 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 cool i'm cool with it i look i mean rampage is on a different channel and i barely watch that so Mm. it's not I'll watch NXT gladly somewhere else. Uh, so let's get into comics. Uh, I mean, obviously, we talked at length about Wonder Woman number one uh, with Tom but King. Now Tom in the King's show. not here. Let's talk. <laughs> and so, um, you know, obviously, we got to make uh, this last part quicker. Uh, but, you know, I think of the things that he had talked about wanting to do with the character and define about Wonder Woman and, and Diana, um, I think this issue succeeded uh wholeheartedly in in that um you know i i think the narration and where that leads and how that was integrated uh was key i i the saint pierre that's i mean this this book is gorgeous i think this book is and it's gorgeous but it's also uh does a great job of conveying the impact of very heavy scenes i mean there's one whole sequence that like just tied me in knots um and the, and I, the artwork does a good job of conveying that and the seriousness of that and the weightiness of that um so uh, I thought this was excellent. I thought this was a great jumping on point onboarding issue. I'm excited for where it goes next. What'd you guys think? Um, I think it was very much a Tom King issue. Like the very, way it starts, like, yeah, sure. it reminded me a lot of like the Rorschach book, but like I said, I, when I kind of got into it and I was kind of like, where are we going? But like when we got into it and I saw what they were doing and finally Wonder, Wonder Woman comes into focus, I really dug it because I think this book did a good job of you know, there's two ways to kind of approach and, and re-establish status quo. It's like following your hero around on like a day in the life type deal to show like, you know, Superman flying around and what's Metropolis now like as he's going around. But I like how this set the stage for the world situation and the world climate regarding women, Amazons, you know, that metaphor before dropping Wonder Woman into it mm-hmm. as kind of the center place, a centerpiece because she is like the big franchise player in all this, right? And so like, I liked that she didn't show up until later. I liked that she was trying to stay out of it and like just help work the situation out through peaceful means. Cause she is an ambassador. That is like Diana's, she's a diplomat, right? right? Like, and so we forget about that side of her sometimes, but, and then when we get into it and she's in the book and we actually see her there, it, like I said, it was distinct because of how 
we get the grace and the control and her reluctance of telling them like it doesn't have to be like this like you guys could chill like we can figure this out and then having to also show her power and her ability and all that stuff so it was a very interesting kind of world setup i liked hearing from tom king and that influences that the next one is going to be mostly action and that we're going to probably be changing pace and kind of ramping up the pace of this story and the big things that are happening doesn't mean i don't want to see some interesting things like an issue about like the history of the sovereign and the whole blueprint of this american royal family and their secrets and how the lasso of lies is used and all that but this was a good you know we talk about first issues and what they have to do and unlike some boring first issues i thought this was wasn't boring it was intriguing in its world building and now that i'm in this world in this new kind of situation for wonder woman I'm very interested to see where it goes. Yeah, King is really solid when it comes to first issues. If you need an example, go read the very first issue of Batman he ever wrote. That thing kills. Um, it's funny, you know, it's people, some people love Tom King's writing, some people don't like it. I love it. So this was pure Tom King goodness for me. One thing I thought was interesting was, weirdly enough, the issue reminded me of Wonder Woman 84. And that movie's terrible. And how it really doesn't have anything to say when it comes to Wonder Woman's place in the world or place in culture. How would the world really react to her being this public figure? How would American politics react to her being this giant figure? Um, and I think to this was Tom King's way of being like, okay, Wonder Woman 84 completely missed the mark on this. I'm going to do it better. And so far, he's doing it. Yeah, all right. So I think we are all sold. Um, I also love the art of this book. By uh, Daniel Sempire, is it? Sempire, did I see that? You're muted. I don't know why I'm muted. <laughs> Sempire, I did it. I must have hit my own button. Um, yeah, it's uh, Daniel Sempire. Yeah, um, and specifically, I love how this book does the subtle things of showing all these quite literally like little men kind of compared to the what the Amazons look like in the context of the real world how big they are, how strong they are, how formidable they are. Um, and yeah, I, I thought the artwork was really good in like the way it told the story as well. So yeah, I'm in. And now that I hear Yara Flores up in this and all that, like, yeah, I'm in. So yeah, well, uh, next we move into uh, more DC. We actually move into Catwoman 57, which is Gotham War Part 3. Um, this issue you know, is we were talking about it last issue of like Batman really kind of feels like he's coming apart at the seams. And uh, this issue further, further pushes that uh, dude's like, you know, almost almost killing Jason Todd, <laughs> crappling off a bike and, you know, like knocking out his own people. And there's there's a lot of that stuff uh, in here. But it's funny. There's a the the exchanges between Batman and Vandal Savage are like start off the issue and they're they're some of the best but there's one key line and i'm actually trying to find it here um there's a yeah here it goes it's catwoman talking about bruce and there's a it's a fitting line for the series and the story but also this particular issue and she's like he wants a gotham that is good instead of a gotham that's healthy i just think that's like a perfect way to encapsulate this issue and also his whole kind of falling apart arc uh and he just you know this is very much like a move the plot forward move some other figures in place. So it's it's not my favorite issue of the series to this point, but it's still really good for me anyway. But what'd you guys think? Um, I've loved this crossover. I like it because it, it actually has a very interesting moral and ethical kind of hook to it. There isn't anybody who's like really a bad guy. Right. They're just differing philosophies on how to solve crime fighting. 
through people who are very close with each other. And like, I think there's even a scene, is this the one that has a scene? Yeah, with Catwoman and Nightwing. Yeah. Where for a moment, like she's talking to Dick and she's like, you know, when we're talking like this, it makes me feel stupid that we're fighting because we, because they, they are such a family. Like she's been right, like she's been around since Dick has grown up and been raised when Jason was around and got was lost when, you know, everybody who came after, like she's, Selena's been around for all this. Yeah. She's deep in Batman's life. And so that they're having this rift is good. What I also really enjoy about this series, what you said is, I don't think since Onslaught in X-Men in the 90s that I've seen like a good job of somebody slowly but surely showing you that there's something internally wrong with this hero, that there is something at work inside of Batman. Oop, knocked my mic. But like the Batman of Zura and R or this collection of them from across the multiverse or whatever is happening where they're kind of secretly kind of surging up and taking control. I like the brushstrokes of how that's coming through Batman and through Bruce in ways that he doesn't even realize, like just doing extra stuff, like pulling Jason off the bike. And even Jason's like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, I can get scraped like this. Like, you just yanked me off my bike. But Batman's having that aggression. He doesn't really, I mean, and he even doesn't really get it. Why? Like, and I like it. That's not like Scarecrow. It's not like this. It's Bruce's mind slowly unraveling from this and i like where it's going to lead to like you know a completely unhinged batman in the future so we also get a good twist at the end and you know with this one with what vandal savage is up to so there's been one of the more interesting crossovers i've I've read lately in batman no i agree connor did you read this one or no i did not okay no worries uh and then kofi you wanted to give a little love to uh uncanny yeah, Uncanny Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So, you know, I'm deep in X-Men and I've been reading Fall of X. And this was an interesting book where Nightcrawler becomes his own version of Spider-Man. They've been doing a lot in Fall of X to mix other Marvel heroes and properties in with the X-Men. I think it's a secret way of just killing off Krakoa because <laughs> it was his own. I mean, they've said it's ending, but it's, it was its own bubble. X-Men were literally and figuratively on their own little island for a while. But now, obviously, they're trying to integrate them into the larger Marvel universe. So you have Uncanny Avengers. You have, you know, what we were just, you know, all the other stuff that's going on. Tony Stark and Emma Frost. And then Hulk, you have Nightcrawler. Hulk, sh- Hulk shows up in the new uh, Wolverine book for no reason. Yeah, there you go. And now you have Nightcrawler taking on his own version of Spider-Man. Um, I enjoyed this issue. It was quirky and weird, like a classic Spider-Man book, but with just a very different protagonist than Peter Parker in Kurt Wagner, who is, you know, had an interesting life and is interesting because he's getting, and I think the hook for me that was interesting is he's getting clout as a superhero, as a masked devil looking superhero for the first time. But if he takes off the mask and he's like, well, I'm also like, you know, just a I'm also blurry. Yeah. People are like, Mewdy! and they like freak out. And so it, it's that part of it is kind of funny, like how the mask is somehow giving him like more adulation and freedom. But I really wanted to talk about this because it had a scene that spoke to me, which is where Nightcrawler saves a jogger in the park and it's this Gen Z girl and she's like very bubbly, like kind of like Valley Girl type-ish. And she was trying to get robbed and she wouldn't give up her mini disc player because her mini disc player was so like important to her. It was fire. And I was like, man, whoever is writing this, like, I thank you for seeing me. I spent a long time in the early 2000s being mocked for my mini disc love, but the mini disc is a superior machine. Those Sony mini disc players. And if you don't know what those are, they were tiny little CDs. They were in... They're basically like the laser disc of music technology. 
Um, and uh, my family also had a laser disc, by the way. Of, now, of course, this all comes back to laser disc. Yeah, but uh, they were in between CD player, portable CD players, and before MP3 players were a thing, and you just had all digital music. And so you could record any number of things on a mini disc, but they were edited. They were made for like music makers too, so you could edit them and clip, cut tracks, splice in other things, do whatever you wanted on like an amateur level with like cutting your own mixtapes, like mixing different sounds. And they let you sample sounds, and this was the great thing from places. You just needed an audio jack cord, and even at a concert, you could sneak around the amp, plug into the amp, record like that entire concert, and have it on your mini disc player, and like cut it. TV shows, the same deal. Like anything with audio jack, you could take sound samples off of. Hmm. So it was really cool. And me and my like best friend used to cut all kinds and send each other mini disc mixes, and like where we had TV shows spliced in the middle of songs and things like that. And anyway. Thank you for making me see feel seen on Candy Spider-Man. This has been wow. a PSA for the mini disc player, which I still have upstairs in my office. And after this, may get into cutting a few more mini oh disc mixtapes. Yeah, DJK, I'll be on the lookout for that. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, I'm glad. You know what? I'm glad you were seen. Thank you. And I'm glad it made you made you feel warm and fuzzies. Uh, <laughs> what we got a couple of wrecks. Uh, Superman six came out this week, uh, started its new arc, The Chained. Uh, we have been unabashed in our love of this series. And um, you can check out all of our interviews with Joshua Williamson on the series if you want to uh, over on comicbook.com and the YouTube channel. Uh, but this one, again, another promising start to a new arc. Uh, and then we also had Green Lantern War Journal number one, which if, if you've been following Hal Jordan's book, these have been the backup stories uh, by Kennedy Johnson. And then uh, now we're kind of moving full on with that story in Jon Stewart's own book. Also a very promising start. Um, and then uh, for the people who follow us, we've talked about a couple different stories over uh, the course of the year and a half. Uh, we talked about One Dark Night, uh, which was a Black Label three-issue series that is now together in trade. So if you want to go read that whole story, I definitely recommend it. Uh, and then Bloodline, uh, the daughter of Blade. We've also talked about that a lot on the show. And that whole series is now in trade as well. Uh, both are self-contained. So, you know, they're going to be kind of one and dones until whatever spins out of Bloodline. So uh, definitely check that out. So, yeah, that's comics. And that'll do it for our show today. As I said, be sure to go back and check out some of our bonus round episodes. For uh, the last few episodes of Soka episodes five and six both have recap episodes you should probably listen to there's a lot of great breakdown in that we also did partnered with gaming comic book gaming and did uh, a first early reveal of some of the gameplay and kind of finer mechanics of spider-man marvel spider-man 2 uh our guy logan moore got to go to an got to go to an event and play that game for a couple hours and had a lot of interesting things to say so check out that episode as well that'll do it for this episode of comic book nation again if you are just now getting into the show please go to youtube backslash comic book all one word dash nation and subscribe to the youtube page and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms if you want to talk to us, and if you're watching this video, I don't know why you want to talk to Matt Matthew Aguilar, but if you do... Ember brought me this and asked me to wear it on the show, and I am doing just that. Okay. an well, Easter egg for Ember years from now. Okay. Oh. Well, that's fine. <laughs> an Easter egg for your daughter, I, I get. All right. So, you, where can they find you? You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. You can find me at Kofi Outlaw. And you can find me at Connor Casey CB, shaking my head at Matthew. <laughs> This has been Comic Book Nation, and we will see you guys out there. Have a great weekend. Peace. Later. Peace.